0: It's not going to explode on your computer, is it? No. Is that?
1: Oh, it's so good. <clears throat> All right. So, Jordan, you ready for take two? Yeah. Let's make it happen. Welcome back to the Philosophers Podcast, I'm James Yealy, and I'm joined again by Jordan Allison today, and today we're going to discuss the movie 1917, by Sam Mendes. Hello. How's it going, Jordan?
0: Good. We just saw the movie, so it was fantastic, I'm ready to talk about it.
1: It was very fantastic, I saw it now twice, and there's just so much to cover, um... Well, but
0: if anything, there's less to cover because it's one take.
1: That's true. Well, So
0: there's a lot less to, like, think about.
1: It's, in quotes, yeah, one take. Yeah. It, there was
0: less than 20 actual cuts.
1: That you counted. I mean, I, I stopped counting after I, like, got so distracted by what was happening in the movie. Even though I already saw it, I got distracted and I was like, oh, lost count, it whatever. Was,
0: it was less than 20. For anyone, if anyone's listening doesn't know what a cut is, is just... When you see the camera angle change, Um, they were making this movie with the idea or the goal to not have a noticeable cut in it. And there was only one actual cut
1: in the entire film. Yeah, that was like a cut to black and then it came back on screen. The other ones are usually cut in a hidden sense where like if they dive into a dark cove. They would make a cut and then change the angle or change what they're using to shoot the camera, like shoot how to shoot the camera and all that. Um, but I guess since we're talking, you know, at a filmmaker's level, first I want to see, like, how's it going with you, school, all that? You're graduating this semester, right? Yes. Or you're slated to. I should. And I just graduated in the fall. So we're going to be walking together uh, in the spring. That's exciting. Uh, So class of 2019, 2020. That's kind of cool. That's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so you're big on directing. I'm big on, you know, director of photography, cinematography kind of things. So uh, Sam Mendes, he's been nominated for one Oscar.
0: Was it Skyfall that he was nominated for?
1: No, he was nominated for this one.
0: Oh, oh, oh. And then
1: he's... He won American Beauty. So Sam Mendes, he uh, was the director of Skyfall, director of Spectre, director of American Beauty. He won the Academy Award for American Beauty. He's nominated right now for 1917. And yeah, just tell me what you think about his directing style for this movie.
0: Well, so first off, and there's hints throughout the film, he has a message to share. Uh, And when we did the Joker podcast... It was kind of like similar, and that's why they're both nominated for for Oscars because there's a clear message, and it's a strong message. The message I got from this movie, and it was very clear um, the power of one person um, as opposed to sixteen hundred, which is the number of men in the movie that is mentioned. Um, so the message that the power of one person is all you need. It's very clear, and it's very wonderful, and it, it drives the movie, and throughout the movie, you're constantly reminded that he is just one person, the actor. Well, it's, the it's two people. Yes.
1: I think it's not just the—I don't remember what word you just used to describe, like, the importance of one person. Like yeah. That's what I would say. Is it's the importance of that one person or those two people delivering that message to save sixteen hundred. Mm-hmm. like even they're even though they're the few, the few will save the many in this case mm-hmm. and it's it's a gripping story to have been shared through this medium where you know he's constantly changing environments you never see the same environment twice, and he makes a point mm-hmm. to say that in the featurettes that he has made for the movie. And the camera's always moving, and the camera is always on at least one of the two characters that you're following until the very end. Yep. And so seeing that and like being with that those characters for the entire two-hour-long feature film really helps you develop that relationship with them, and that intimate relationship. And I know Sam Mendes, from watching the interviews, had said that they wanted to make this movie in real time, so it felt like you were actually in it with them, that you were actually in the trenches, that you were actually fighting the war with them, and that you were dealing with the same emotions and the same situations as the actors that are acting. Do you feel like he got that point across, got that feeling across?
0: I think he did. And his idea of making the film one take, seemingly one take, uh, helps him with that connection. Because, I mean, when you're directing, that is the main goal, to have your actors portray something and connect with the audience. And so this film being seemingly one take with no cuts, you get this uninterrupted feeling and situation with two characters. And that just, when you spend two hours with someone in a room and you're talking, you learn about them. When you spend two hours with two people on a mission that revolves around saving lives you see like certain things about them you see like how like, they
1: work under pressure
0: yeah you see like the kind of honor they have the kind of person they are like they throughout the movie the one character um meets different people like they meet germans and they try to save germans like so you see
1: french s- people they meet uh scottish people
0: yeah so you learn like you just get to be with them, and it's very well done. That one-take effect lends itself to connecting with the actors and the characters, which the which character? one of the characters is actually the director's either great-grandfather or grandfather.
1: So you were saying that one of the characters has to be the grandfather of the director? Is that what you were going with?
0: Well, in at the end of the film, it says thank you, and I can't remember his full name, but it was like, it's Lance dedicated
1: Cor- to the Lance Corporal, which was his Sam Mendes' The last name
0: was Mendez, so it must have been his great-grandfather or his grandfather, one of the main two characters.
1: Right, because, or, like, based it's, on...
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: because he said it... At the, at the very end, like you said, it says, thank you for sharing those stories with us and for telling us those stories. And I think that's part of the reason why he wanted to make it that intimate tale, because he felt so close to it, and that's where... Mm-hmm. Like, just like Todd Phillips, when we talked about Joker, he made that because he wanted to connect with people on that level. And Sam Mendes did the same exact thing here, just with different emotions and different...
0: Well, I'll tell you what, let's say, and I don't know for sure, one of the main characters is his grand great-grandfather. Sure. grandfather. When he was in pre-production, writing the script, what whatever he was doing, I'm sure that he decided he wanted it to be a one take because he wanted people to experience like what it was to be like in the trenches in nineteen seventeen because if you think about it, you know there's a lot of like eyes on World War two there's not a lot of eyes on World War One and like i mean there is oh excuse me there is a lot of eyes on it, but if you compare like as far as films being made about the two, there's just so many more done on World War two and he has this connection to the men in 1917 that he just shared that story with and he wanted it to be as close he wanted the audience to be as closely like connected with these characters as possible and that one take i keep saying it the one take just lends itself perfectly to that want
1: i think the reason why people don't go after world war one movies is because of like how uneasy it is because of what World War I was with, like, the trench warfare and all that, you couldn't really, you can't really shoot much mm-hmm. other than that and, like, crossing no man's land like they do in this movie and um, even just, like, I guess, basically that is, like, World War II was a lot more on the foot, on the ground, running into where we were going, more, like, modern style of how war goes these days. You're not running through trenches and trying to get from point A to point B that way all the time. And that's how they fought World War I was through trenches. It was trench warfare. You had trench foot. You had all those different weird things that happened. And they kind of learned from their mistakes in a way. But I think Sam Mendes did exactly the right thing in how he wanted to capture it. By putting us in that position as like the concerned observer. And going on the ride with the characters instead of seeing it from a, like a voyeuristic point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the... Cinematography.
1: Oh, you know this is you know this is near and dear to my heart. I love Roger Deacons. I love beautiful. Roger Deakins as a DP. Um and when I first heard that this was gonna be a wonner or a quote unquote wonner, um, which is, you know, the one take, I was a little apprehensive because I'm like, how is this gonna work? And then I started seeing the featurettes on it, and I started seeing what Deacons was planning to do with lighting, and he's like a master of lighting.
0: Well let's let's give the list here. Roger Deakins has uh one Oscar.
1: And he's been additionally nominated for 13 others.
0: He um, is the the cinematographer of Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, Sicario, Shawshank Redemption, The Big Lebowski.
1: And No Country for Old Men. No
0: Country for Old Men.
1: And for all of them except for The Big Lebowski, he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Cinematography. And in last year's awards, he won it for Blade Runner 2049.
0: I never saw it, but I've seen like clips and... He's well-deserving. He's a master I at lighting. I think he'll win it again this year. Without a doubt. What are the other nominees? I
1: think the only other one that would come close, for me, personally,
0: would be Joker. Okay, see...
1: But you have the list right there next to you, actually. Right, actually. Um
0: I think Parasite is the closest runner-up to 1917. I think 1917 will win, but Parasite's cinematography was very impressive.
1: I know they won the Golden Globe with 1917. They won the Golden Globe for cinematography and i wouldn't be surprised to see them win for the oscars because i don't know it's just there's something about the way they move the camera and the the way they went and approached all the shots in 1917 i didn't see parasite yet so i can't really talk on that but like roger deakins is unreal with the way he lights things and while he didn't do a lot of lighting during the day scenes here because he was just using overcast light if you look at those scenes where they're in like the city which i forget the name of because it's Acoust? Acoust, yes. When you're in that city and you're seeing like just one giant panel of light behind a bunch of haze and then you see flares going up in the sky and how he shot that and that's what he was going for. Mm-hmm. It's just so impressive and you can't even like begin to compare that with anyone else's work.
0: I haven't seen it yet, but I know the lighthouse. I heard um, good things about the cinematography. Probably, probably a contender. Probably it's it's going to be between i forgot about lighthouse it's going to be between lighthouse and 1917 because lighthouse was from the things i've seen the photos i've seen is just like wildly spectacular i think it's better than uh parasites cinematography um but yeah, l- I- let's let's talk about how they did cuz you mentioned it a little bit in the beginning but with the hidden cuts, because that's a big part of, of the cinematography there. Sure, you had to strategically plan
1: out every one of your shots, so that you'd start and end somewhere where you could cut, because the way they kind of did this is they kind of chunked through it, and they would do like five to eight minute takes at a time, and they'd have to figure out a way where they could either have something wipe the screen, like the very first cut we probably saw was one we didn't see, but it was when the box crosses this frame right in the beginning, when mm-hmm. they get down to the trench then when they dive into like the the little outcoves where like generals hang out and all that
0: it gets dark
1: it gets dark and they cut the camera then they change the shot up and then they go in and we've i think we've done it we i we did have. it i did it at least and i think you did too with the one lighting project we had at temple where my group had two different locations we shot in and we had the character wipe the screen in the darkness mm-hmm. and then the next shot was a completely different apartment and they walked down a hallway, and we had relit the whole hallway to be...
0: Oh, that was... Yeah, that was me, yeah. You. Were you on... You were on that group, too? Yeah, it was, like, Apocalyptic World, and, like, she walked outside. It was... In, oh, yeah. With... Is uh, his name Andy? Never mind.
1: Doesn't matter. Not not as important <laughs> as... Uh...
0: So, with that, I I, I want to make it clear. It's really easy to do that. Sure. Like, when when Jimmy says... Um, wipe this screen, like there, it can be a tree branch or a person's or arm, or a person's arm, as long as it literally comes across the whole screen. And basically, you just take the other side of that person after they've walked across the screen and you replace it with the next shot, which in this movie is just very meticulously they, done. They matched it up so that it was just a continuous shot. Very easy to do in the editing world. But, you know, it's just a simple tool in filmmaking that I don't think a lot of people utilize. I, well, at least.
1: And that's the thing. I think is, I think everyone's capable of using it. Mm-hmm. But it's the people who do it really well that make it exceptional. And if you don't do it well enough, you're not going to get that praise that people like Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes will. They did a competition.
0: Here. Do you know about that? No. Yeah, they did a 1917, like... I almost said tournament, like a contest where you submitted like one take films, short films. Um, oh, I did see that actually. And like, I don't know what the prize was, but there was probably some got prizes. to hang out on set or like go to
1: the premiere of 1917, something yeah,
0: like some, that. Something similar to that. But
1: like, there was just something different. Like, a couple of years ago, we had Birdman. Birdman did a wonner where they did the same general thing, but that was on a much smaller scale than this yeah, because this um, you're constantly outside, there's no indoor shots, really, mm-hmm. except for like when they're going through some broken down houses or into like the little outcoves in the trenches, right. but like you have to deal with the changing of light, and that's one thing like why they had to shoot an overcast was so that they didn't have continuity issues with that, but that still takes time, because then mm-hmm. you have to wait around for overcast to happen, yeah. but like also just you know trying to figure out like how to get from one place to the next. When you cut on darkness in a in a room, you can literally go to any other room in the house and have mm-hmm. the person come out. You can't really do that when you're outside.
0: It has to match.
1: It has to flow. So, like, if you're cutting from, say you go behind a tree, like you mentioned, you go behind a tree branch, you're expected to come out on the other side of that tree
0: branch. Exactly. You can't so just
1: cut to some random cityscape.
0: Yeah. It, unless
1: you're trying to do something experimental or something artistic like that. Which. You can no do. One,
0: no one. No one does that in, like, a film, though.
1: Right. Unless really? they're showing passenger time, maybe.
0: Yeah, um, let's talk about the score. Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman is
1: one of my favorite composers he ever. He
0: composed the score for Finding Nemo.
1: Back in like the early two thousands was it two thousand one? Is that when that came
0: out? I have no idea. It's two
1: thousand one to two thousand four um, somewhere in there.
0: He also did Skyfall and which, Spectre.
1: Which, if you've ever seen either of those movies fantastic but and finding nemo he also did the shawshank redemption which is the number 1 movie but finding on IMDb, nemo no, imdb
0: <laughs> bu- 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 bu. so he's very talented i i didn't get a strong sense from the score in this film though in 1917
1: and i don't think you're supposed to
0: yeah i don't think so either it wasn't like overbearing or like there are three moments three moments in the entire film one of them was the very last shot
1: right? one of them was the very last yeah. song which is my by far my favorite so- song of the album that i have i've been listening to it nonstop. right the other one is the 1600 men when he's running down the trenches
0: yeah i wasn't focusing on the song for that
1: go back and listen to it
0: yeah it well you've seen it twice yes you'll so.
1: understand exactly what i'm feeling and then the other one is when they're in the trench the first time mm-hmm. and no not the first time but they're in the german trenches Right. And they're in the tunnels where the rats are and all that. That they used the shepherd's tone thing like oh, they didn't Dunkirk like
0: after the Kabui?
1: No, before. Well, during it. The kabooey whole the means whole time during. explosion. It. But like um if you remember Dunkirk, we went and saw Dunkirk together. Yes. Remember how he used that same tone and it just like kept going and it felt like it was growing and getting louder and all that yeah. and it was the same note but it just felt different. Mm-hmm. They did the same exact thing in this film. For those moments, gotcha. When things got tense and I could, got,
0: I could tell they did similar things from the trailer. Like just from watching the trailers, I'm like, this sounds like
1: a lot of similar things from. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like a good way, especially in a oneer, it's mm-hmm. a good way to build tension because that's a problem with oneers is you could lose pace in a heartbeat. What
0: a oneer is like the one take yeah. film.
1: Like so, if you yeah. if you don't pace that outright, or if you don't have music that keeps the pace going you're going to
0: find yourself falling flat. That's true. Pacing, the pacing in this movie was, I think, was well done. I don't think there was any boring moments. Every moment served Every the moment characters.
1: counted. Every moment counted. The,
0: like, the slowest moment came, and it was a character-building mo- moment between the one character who does die. Um, and then it's, it's mentioned two other times in the film. One of the times, the first time it was mentioned, was, like, this nonchalant way of... These characters, these soldiers telling stories on a truck, and then the other time was at the end um, pacing was really good, and the score, I think did help with that because it wasn't like this super overbearing score music that just took you away and like made you overly excited like it only got
1: intense when it needed to get intense, and that's the important part yeah, it was never at a point of like. Oh my God! This score's just been going on and on, and then mm-hmm. there were also those really nice breaks of when it needed to be silent, it was silent.
0: Yeah, so I really liked George McKay.
1: So did I, and I first saw him in Captain Fantastic a couple of years ago.
0: I didn't finish that. I need to finish that.
1: So that movie is fantastic. Is
0: he isn't dead, the then- guy.
1: No. In Captain Fantastic, that's the one with Viggo Mortensen. Oh, 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 oh. I'm thinking
0: of a different movie.
1: Right. So Captain Fantastic, it's Viggo Mortensen, him, right, and yeah, a couple I, other kids. I remember that. Fantastic yeah. movie. In and that? Yeah, he was
0: the oldest son. Oh, wow. Um, so George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman are the two main characters. Um, I thought Dean Chapman, he was pretty good, but, like, obviously he's the one who dies, and... Spoiler alert. We're past that. Well, we didn't say spoiler alert. So spoiler alert. Um, yeah, it's l- the s- second one. Lieutenant Corporal Blake. Yep.
1: Yeah, he uh, sadly succumbs to. Oh no, it's Lance Corporal, not Lieutenant Corporal. Lance Corporal Blake sadly succumbs to a knife wound from a ger- German fighter pilot and uh, bleeds out while he's in uh, Luke- Lieutenant Cor- or no Lance Corporal Schofield's arms, which is George McKay's character.
0: Yeah, I I I had no idea which I had no idea someone was going to die. I also had no idea which one of them would be the focus on. Um but George McKay really like stole the show. His performance was good. He's not nominated for Yeah, no. He's not nominated at all. I would put him in the best uh actor. Category. I would
1: too, but I don't know whether or not they could determine a best actor or not for that because how do you determine which one's the supporting role and which one's the main role
0: the the best the um, best actor category has antonio banderas leonardo dicaprio adam driver joaquin phoenix and jonathan price all Um, good nominations i haven't seen pain and glory with antonio banderas um i haven't seen two popes uh with jonathan price but yeah that's I
1: mean, that's a pretty stacked category right there. I don't think George McKay would honestly stand a chance in yeah, some no, of that. I,
0: I agree with that. Uh, but he did a really good job, especially because he is, like I said earlier, that one person who makes the difference. Uh, and he does a good job at, like, you see him fail, you see him get tired, you see him almost give up, um, and then he doesn't give up. So you just, he does a good job at showing the audience, like, what it takes and...
1: And the thing is, I don't know if that was even acting per se. That might have actually been a real life <laughs> feeling because, think about that. Say someone in the camera crew messes something up in a take. You have to go all the way back to the start and do it all over again.
0: Yeah. So what what you're saying is, like, they the um they had to practice these scenes. Yep. Probably. For they were months. out months. They were out months before shooting. Um, because it is a one take. So these these takes are going for eight minutes at a time. A lot happens in eight minutes when you're acting, rolling the camera. So,
1: and I mean, even I'll even per- say it to the last scene that everyone seems to see on Twitter now, where they show like the camera shot and how they did it, and when he's running, running across along I the trenches. I don't like how
0: they're showing that shot because that kind of ruined that shot for me. Honestly. Sure. I was watching it. In- Go ahead.
1: I mean, that I told you when we watched it in the theater, he gets run into twice. Mm-hmm. They rehearsed that scene and it never happened. That never happened once in the rehearsals, and he said, he's like, it happened when we did it uh, the day of, and he's like, they ended up going with it because they liked it, and they that was the one thing that was about all of these takes that they did is, if something got messed up, they just kept going. Yeah. They didn't stop the take, they just kept going and dealt with whatever happened. And I think that lent itself to everything that was going on. So, I don't know. I think um, it's a very good way of, I guess, showing that, like, the imperfection of film is capable of being a thing. Like, you can have a messed up take and still use that in the film at some point.
0: Yeah, um, a lot of people don't know this. People who aren't filmmakers. But when you when you shoot a scene, like, you shoot it however many times you want. With that last scene, there's a lot of explosions going off. Yep. They probably have one chance to do this shot. They had four. They had four. Four max
1: they had only enough explosives to do that scene four times.
0: Interesting. So, that's awesome. Did did they do it on the one the first I take? I think
1: they did it a couple times, they but did. I think the first take was probably the best because of the haphazardness and the the craziness where like he's getting knocked into by extras. Uh-huh. And he's getting he's stumbling to get up and stumbling to get to where he's going and
0: Man, that struggling. extra is probably like so you know the guy that he uh, he falls into, that's me.
1: Well, that's the thing is, like, (laughs) if you noticed, the first guy who runs into him, he lays on the ground
0: and doesn't get up. I saw. I did notice. And
1: then the second guy that runs into him just keeps barreling through and just keeps going. Yeah. And George McKay gets taken down twice.
0: Well, I'm sure, like, going into this, they were like, no matter what happens, just keep going. They were probably very adamant, like, that um, the shot has to happen either way, whether you mess up or not. And that is one thing that's, like, good
1: about... I know Roger Deakins is an older DP, but he's someone who's integrated into the digital market quite a bit for cameras, Mm -hmm. as you can see on the sheet in front of you. um, They shot on the Arri Alexa Mini, the LF, which is a digital camera. It's a digital format camera. Um, It's not film film, so he's kind of moved along with the times despite, you know, being an older DP,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: whereas some people don't do that, and some people still shoot on film, but having that luxury allowed for them to you know adjust and be able to shoot another thing if they had to without worrying about hey we're burning film and we're not going to be able to do another take right as you learned i mean jordan and i just worked on a film recently together and we shot the first night on digital but the rest of the film was shot on film
0: why the first scene on digital too dark Ah, so hey, that's where, yep.
1: We shot on an Arya Mira for our first night of shooting, and then on the second night we shot with the Aton 16mm, Super 16mm. And I think that's your first experience on like an actual film set with film. It was. And so you saw how differently things worked in film.
0: Very different.
1: From my
0: job to your job to everyone else's job. There's a lot, well, I wouldn't say a lot more waiting, but there are more moments where like you do have to wait for the film to be changed for the film for the role to be changed the that
1: and also just like how much more precious every take is yeah it with digital you get used to being able to be like oh we can just do it again and do it again and do it again but on film unless you have a big budget you only have a certain number of takes before you have to be like we have to move on mm-hmm. which is where i think with film you have more latitude with having those imperfect focus takes and those imperfect framing takes mm-hmm. than you do with digital because if you have digital you have unlimited media essentially if you have a dit on set to transfer so you can afford to take that extra time dump a card and then go back and do it again so right. i think while they were doing this all in oneers and they were doing this all or they were doing this all with the idea of a wonner in mind and they only had four takes of explosives they could go back and do it three more times if they wanted to yeah. to see if they could get it because they had that digital and because they had the four times of explosion mm-hmm. explosives. So I don't know. I From doing two films now, like two short, short films that were shot on film legitimately, because mm-hmm. Mike's first film was on film that I worked on, and this past one, Bow and Arrow, was also on film. Learning how precious my job was as the first AC on set was actually like really eye-opening to me. And it really opened my eyes to how I want to DP, even with digital, how I want, I want to be in the mindset of every take counts and not, oh, I can just reshoot it if it doesn't look good. And I also want to look for those imperfections. I
0: think if you can have that mindset and still use digital, I think I don't, I don't see film as using film as a bad thing. Like just because like, yeah, the, you are, you don't get to like, like you said, you don't get to waste shots. Um, I don't think, I think what you just said, like every shot counts is just a, a mindset that people don't have enough.
1: Right. And I mean, even it comes back to with our, our films that we've made where like we did our five day film fest, every little thing counted in that when we did them, like you had to make everything work because we were on time crunch. Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of, you know, making we started everything out
0: there where every shot counts yes
1: we started there and i think that helped me even in the mindset of digital and even in the mindset of that i already had some of that in my mind being Mm -hmm. like we are on time crunch so i don't need perfection in my work i need to get as close to perfect as i possibly can but if it's imperfect in the slightest bit i'm not upset about it other people in our group disagreed but um no i think i'm a big fan of the nuances in cinema and i we were talking on the way home to do this podcast where you were saying, like, I didn't notice any out-of-focus shots. And I'm like, well, during the day shots, there was no chance for them to be out-of-focus because it was overcast and just deep focus throughout Mm -hmm. most of it. But in the nighttime shots, you could see a softness every now and then when he was running to or from the camera because they couldn't catch up with him. As much as
0: that was out-of-focus, like, so they had a mark, which was probably the character um, and... This character was in and out of focus because the light was constantly changing, even though I thought that lighting with the flare going up at first view was phenomenal.
1: It is. It's absolutely
0: stunning. It was like I was watching it and like my eyes were just like glistening and like watching him magic, watching him run through it. There was four moments in 1917 where I was like, wow it was hit me with them cuz i i want to see if i'm thinking
1: of the same four moments in the beginning
0: well, close to the beginning um when they were going through no man's land and they got into that big crater yep um yeah i know you you saw this one it's mm-hmm. they go across to the other side at the bottom of the crater and there's a giant puddle in the crater and they're just walking across the ledge of the water and the camera is still in the middle of the puddle though it's just beautiful and you see the reflections in the water you see all of it the second time i was like wow was when they got to the house by the cherry blossom trees that were cut down and he was in the house um the one character george mckay's character he was in the house and the other character was outside of the house and you you're with the character inside He's, he's the main focus he's in focus. And then he gets up to the window. He's now silhouetted and you see the other character outside and it rack focuses, the focus switches from the character inside who is silhouetted to outside. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty shot. I was like, wow. The third time was in the scene where he, uh, he, he passes out for a couple hours and then he walks outside and all the flares are going on. I'm like,
1: wow. And how the camera moves for that. They will go through where he just shot that soldier and it yeah. goes it cranes down out of the building into the next shot where he's running out of the building and
0: walking the with fourth, the, the fourth time. And I was like, I know which one this is. I wow. Think. It was, he's approaching, uh, like a open square that's on fire. The, I think it's yep. gotta be a church. A church is on fire.
1: The whole city's burning basically. But yeah, the focus is on like a giant church like building.
0: And he is, he becomes silhouetted by the fire burning. And the focus is on him. And the silhouette is just so crisp and so in focus. Everything else is slightly out of focus. Um, And then it racks. The focus switches from the silhouetted character to the fire. You think it's the fire that they they focus to, but it's actually a German soldier who is barely in sight, and it. It's, and that's
1: because they drifted. They drift to that character. It's
0: such a moment where the character, the main character, is focused on the fire, and as it switches focuses from the character to the fire, you think as long as the as as well as the character, the fire. But there's this German soldier that no one sees. I barely saw him. And eventually the main character is like, whoa. And the German character charges him, and yeah, they both, him. They both have like an oh shit moment and like start running. It was such a great connection between audience member, camera, and character. That's where you, you
1: finally feel like fully immersed, especially at that point. I mean like I felt fully immersed from the very get-go. But if you don't feel immersed at that point, yeah. I, don't what, I don't know what movie you're watching. Because, I mean, I thought you were going to talk about the the very last shot. That is by far one of my favorite shots of the that entire The only reason film.
0: I, and this it's a bit of a bit of a placebo thing. It's being shown everywhere. Sure. I I have this. Well, it's actually a, it's not a philosophy, but um, John Favreau, the he's one of the main directors for um, Avengers and stuff. Yeah. And
1: uh, Mandalorian.
0: The Mandalorian. He pleaded with Disney. He said, do not release anything on Baby Yoda. He was the reason that they didn't have toys for him ready. It right. was this big thing that like Disney lost a bunch of money because they didn't have toys ready for the holidays of Baby Yoda. He was the reason. He said, you cannot tell anyone about Baby Yoda. It will only work... If he is a surprise. No one knew. The first episode came out. Baby Yoda was in the end. Everyone freaked out. With this with this film, 1917, the end shot, the shot you were talking about, is this amazing like running sequence where there's a bunch of explosions. Oh, I'm not even out. talking about that one. I'm oh. talking about the very, very last shot. Oh, him sitting on the tree. Where you finally see the sun for the first time the entire movie. Oh. Well, let me finish my tangent. Go ahead. And that shot was so fantastic for so many reasons, but they used it as a selling point, and it just ruins it for me. Not ruin it, but like... It definitely grabbed your attention to be like, hey, I should see this movie. Yeah, but I, it was before that. I was like, before that shot, I was like, well, this looks pretty intense. Um, I remember when I first saw the trailer, I was like, Jordan, this is going to be one we're going to talk about. That Yeah. That shot you were just mentioning, though, where he sits down you see... You see the sun for the first time. He pulls out the photos of his family, which in the film, it's only alluded to once that he does have a family, but it's, he just says them. He says, when I thought I wasn't going to leave and I was never going to see them again. Yep. That's it. And then even the, the French girl later on asks him if he has a family and he ignores her. He completely ignores her. So but like, yeah, that was a great shot. If you hand. notice,
1: it's the only time the sun actually is out. Yeah. And if you look at the way his eyes got hit by the light, I know I look for that because I'm a sucker for that. I'm a cinematographer nut. But the way the light hit his eyes in that shot you can see every little fleck of color in his iris and you can see the emotions and you can see the relaxation when he finally like realizes he's going to go home mm-hmm. and he's going to make it out and he's going to do this for his family and he's going to do...
0: Well it's also a parallel to the very first shot which is him leaning against a tree Asleep. sleeping.
1: Yep. He's finally like resting after all of the craziness he's gone through in the past day. Cause that's the whole thing is this whole movie takes place in probably about a, what would you say? 14 to 16 hour day.
0: Cause like, they start and they got to get there by morning. They have to get yeah. there by 9am. Probably like 14 hours. And good, good they have days. to leave
1: probably around like, I would say,
0: I would say like maybe
1: even 18 hours. Yeah. They don't have much time to get from where they start to where they're supposed to end. And with everything that happens in between, it's amazing they actually made that happen.
0: I need happen. Watch with, like, a time stamp on it. Because I just watched uh, You on Netflix, like, the ninth sure. episode. There, there's, like, a timeline. Oh, so anxious, man. Same with this movie. Yeah,
1: this movie was... And that's the thing. is like, I wanted to actually ask you. So, in the first part of the movie... They get sent over to no man's land. They get sent into the German trenches. They end up finding a booby-trapped trench, or not trench, uh, you know, they tunnel. dug dugout? Yeah, the dugout, it's booby-trapped. And did that, blo- did that first explosion get you? Yes. Because when I first saw it, when I saw it the first time, everyone in the theater jumped, and I was so anxious from that moment on, because it happens, what I found in this movie is everything that is anxiety-inducing happens just before you expect it to happen. Like, you're expecting something to happen, and then all of a sudden it happens, like, a second before you want it to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it happened with the rat causing the tripwire. Right. It happened with the plane. Yep. And then it happened when McKay was crossing the bridge. Yep. And then it happened in the fa- when he was approaching the building on fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was... And, like, the thing before. is,
1: yeah. seeing it a second time didn't help any of that for me. <laughs> I still jumped when the first explosion went off. I still jumped when the first gunshot at the bridge went off. I still jumped at all that, and I just, it's just, it happened, and I was just like, why? That one-take wonder, that's why. But like, yeah, and that's the thing, (laughs) is the one-take wonder really helps push that story, and it's because it's done so well. I think Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins as a combo are, like, undefeatable when it comes to their storytelling.
0: I agree. These are for um, this year?
1: Yeah, these are this year's. Wow. So, um, if you didn't know, the Oscar nominations are out. Uh, Right now, Joker has the most. That's 11 nominations. Everyone's
0: very excited. But
1: 1917 was nominated for 10 different awards, including Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Original Screenplay, Best Achievement in Cinematography, Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Achievement in Production Design, Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Picture Original Score, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing.
0: So... I think it will win Best Cinematography.
1: Without a doubt. I don't think it will lose to anything.
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe Lighthouse. That And that's a big maybe. Right. I think Little Women will win Best Screenplay.
1: Little, nah. Well, Little Women's an adapted screenplay.
0: Is it? Yes. So right. Little Women so and 1917
1: in are in, are not in the same.
0: I, I don't think 1917 will win Best Picture. I think that's going to go to Parasite. I
1: think they might win Best Directing, though.
0: I think Sam Mendes could win Best Directing. I th- I think... Is Parasite's guy d- yes. nominated? I, um, think, I think he will win Best Director, and his film will win Best Picture. Well, we
1: can't talk too much about that, because we will have an Oscars podcast coming up yes. in the next two weeks, probably. Yes. And it will be posted as soon as I possibly can post it. But, um yeah it's oh. it's amazing to see that nineteen seventeen got this much appreciation
0: I think they will win sound mixing and or editing
1: yeah that's and that's you'll see my list when we get to um, it, but they're
0: going to win one or the other because yeah it's just how can you not in a war film well, and if you look at the other ones. The, like the other movies. So you got Ad Astra. This is for sound mixing. You got Ad Astra, Ford Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? What? Sound mixing is on-set sound. Yeah. And
1: like those kinds of sounds. And then sound editing is Foley sound and like that kind sound of
0: thing. editing is Ford Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Star Wars. Star Wars might win sound editing but like you said that's for next week
1: yeah and that's i mean it's honestly like a it's a toss-up like literally so many of these awards this year because there were so many good ones i think it's going to be a very close race i know there's a few people that are upset about certain things not being nominated i think greta gerwig should have gotten nominated yeah that's not
0: i think scorsese and tarantino's films belong nowhere on any of these And that's a bold statement coming from you because you're a big Tarantino fan. I'm not a big fan, but I like his movies, but it's just But that's what I'm
1: saying. Like I don't like him at all, so like I don't really normally have an opinion. There was
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're getting off tangent here, but that's what it's about. Yeah, we need to talk about it. It needs to be talked about. Go ahead. Once upon a time in Hollywood was a good film. It was well made. There was absolutely nothing special about it. It was a well made film. That's it.
1: And I don't think it needed to be three hours long.
0: Was it? Wow, I don't remember. It came that. in, I think, exactly at three. Um, the Irishman, again, really well made. Good film. That's it. There was no message at all. There was no, like, I don't know. Like, he made the movie to make the movie, which is great. I think that's awesome. It was a good film. There's just so many more films that deserve to be on these lists, like Honey Boy. Um, I didn't see it yet, but I know from just people talking about Peanut Butter Falcon. Yep, um, I haven't seen it yet, but I have it here to watch. There's just so many things, and like I said, this I mean,
1: even Uncut Gems got snubbed, and I never saw it. I wasn't really interested I, in seeing it. But I love that
0: people are saying it got snubbed because that's just awesome for Adam Sandler. Like the fact that like it was just even a, shame a contender. It's just a shame he didn't get
1: any. He didn't get any recognition for it. Like, no one got any recognition from that group, and it's, it's a shame to see that that's a thing. Yeah. That so many things that, like, yeah, I'm so happy that 1917 got 10 awards. I'm so happy that
0: Joker got 11, but there's so many other good movies out there that didn't get any, and they deserved it. I think Smart had a really good script. I think that should be nominated for Best Screenplay.
1: Um, well, if you want, we can do that for our Oscars thing and see, yeah. like, who we think should have been nominated for what, too. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So, we'll keep that in mind and we'll table that. But you said something about your favorite, like, scenes of 1917, and I watched the behind the scenes for a lot of that stuff, because I'm a nerd like that, and I love watching how they I made have any that. of that accomplished. That scene where they cross over the uh, the lake, the little lake in the crater, Yeah. they had it on a crane. Mm -hmm. They brought the crane in, they went over the lake at at the low angle they did, where they're just above the water, and at the other end, two guys picked it up off the crane and walked up the hill with the characters, and then moved on. And then um, that last scene, the last scene, well not last scene, but the scene where he's running down the trenches outside, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the two guys that were carrying the camera at the beginning of that move, they were dressed in uniform, because they couldn't be in the shot. After they put the camera up on the truck So what they did is they put the camera up on the truck And then they just run out to the battlefield Dressed in army fatigues
0: so that they are extras I saw that behind the scenes Video but this audio wasn't on I'm like why is the camera Up have costume on? Yep it's because They <laughs> that's couldn't awesome.
1: The only other way it could have worked is if they put the camera Up and then jumped on the truck and that's not da- That's dangerous mm. it's much easier To just drop the camera and run out into the field And get killed quote unquote or make it to wherever your mission is yeah so i think that's like super cool um i did want to touch on the budget and box office of this film because it's been out for about a week now at the recording of this podcast it's been out almost a week
0: what happened
1: to it coming out on christmas it did come out on christmas but select theaters select theaters so that they could get the oscar nominations right so um budget was 100 million dollars and then, so far, as of a week in, almost a week in, it's made already $42 million in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Almost forty-three, And then, worldwide, it's made almost $67 million. Yeah. That's impressive for a first week on a film that, you know...
0: I think for the movie to have $66 million worldwide right now is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, for a first week, I mean, it definitely opened on Christmas Day in some places. But well, you, you can just
0: tell their goal wasn't money.
1: No, their goal was to get in for the... The, nominations. the girl mm-hmm. was to make a stunning picture. And if it happens to make money... And it's going to make money. It's go- definitely going to pass mm-hmm, its 100. budget. And they're going to make money on it. It's going to be a profitable film. One thing
0: I forgot to mention about this movie that I really enjoyed. It didn't focus on making the Germans these bad people. Right. Obviously, they were. At the time.
1: They, they were, were way worse in World
0: War II. But yes, they were still bad in World War I I thought... To keep this film, like, out of the political... I mean, every film is political. But to keep this film, like, politically neutral, I think was really nice. Because it really kept it about the story of the power of one person. The power of family. And, like, I thought that was really just a wonderful choice to just make a movie about that. About those two things. Because that's really what it was. It was about the power of one and... Family, in a way, like these two characters the one that died and the one that lived like basically family. I mean, all people, all soldiers, you know, those are your family when you're there.
1: Um, and that actually brings up an interesting point is in writing this film, you know, writing is a very important part of our storytelling. Mm-hmm. If you don't have good writing, you're not going to have a very good movie. It's just not how it works. So, when you have to think about, like, motivation for a character to want to go and do something, Sam Mendes chose a very simple motivation for uh, Lance Corporal Blake, played by Dean Charles Chapman, to want to go and do this mission. His brother. He put his brother on the line. And then, because uh, George McKay's character, Lance Corporal Schofield, Schofield, uh, or Schofield, however he pronounces it. um,
0: That's not his brother.
1: Not his brother, but he's like a best friend to him. Yeah. And he's like, he gets mad at him. He's like, I didn't want to be on this journey with you. Why did you pick me? But in the end, he's. it's good that he was there because he was there when Blake gets killed. He yep. was there to comfort him. He was there to be blunt and honest with him, and be like, yes, you're dying, and you're probably not going to live. But, but, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think this movie, I... This was a good year for movies for me. We had Avengers Endgame,
0: which was crying like a baby.
1: I cried. Uh we had Joker, which was I remember us saying immediately we had to we had to talk about it. We had this movie 1917. I've heard good things about Parasite, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've heard Parasite was wonderful. Good things about um what's the one uh Just Mercy?
0: Yeah, with uh, Michael B Jordan and Michael, uh Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox.
1: Uh, I haven't seen that one either but I would that like one to see That one got snubbed
0: big, didn't it?
1: Yes it did. I don't think it's on any nominations. It's a shame. Um, uh, like
0: there's just so many movies they they could replace The Irishman and once upon a time in Hollywood with. It's so upsetting. And
1: I would even argue. They could they could replace Joker in a few. Joker I doesn't agree. need 11 nominations. It's cool that it got it, but it didn't need it. And there are some people who are very upset with some of the nominations it got. I have a few friends what who was it like posted. best costume? Well, they definitely, like, deserved a kind of costuming thing. But, like, um, some people don't think Todd Phillips deserved the directing nod. I don't really know if I agree with that. But I just, there's so much good about all those films. What else came out? Uh, we have Marriage Story, which I want to see. Little Women. Little Women, which was Fantastic. great. We had, um, oh, I'm blanking on the other one that I needed to see. The Irishman, which is, you know, it's you a Martin Scorsese film.
0: At Astro, which I didn't see. Uh, Add Astra. It was good, but forgettable. Sure. Um, But I'm
1: just saying, like, this was a good year for our craft. Yeah. And it makes me super excited to now kind of be a little bit more in to the industry at this point, because, you know, I'm not in college anymore, so that means I had to go out and find a job. And I might find myself on film sets, but I might also find myself just on video shoots. And so just to see what's being done in the industry and, like, see that there's still some really, really good films being made that are kind of pushing new boundaries or pushing boundaries differently than
0: 1917 did that i mean with the one take thing
1: i think that's a boundary while while wonners are like uh not as uncommon as they used to be the way they did this one was unique yeah because it was all exterior it was all shot in overcast like they had people watching the skies constantly being like i think we can make a five minute take happen in that uh that cloud cover and then going and doing it and At the end of it, having to wait again for another 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe even an hour. And they would just rehearse during the time that the sun was out for hours on
0: end. So They probably had a lot of walkie-talkies. They probably did. And,
1: (laughs) I mean, like, that would be super cool by me. I would love that uh, because walkie-talkies are super fun to use on film sets. But, yeah, I think 1917 did an absolutely amazing job at telling its story. I think Sam Mendes did an outstanding job with how he had his characters portray themselves and how he really brought the audience into a personal level with warfare. How
0: old is Mendes? I don't know. Is
1: he older? Or he's middle definitely age? like 40s, 50s. Middle I would say cuz he's he's definitely been in the industry a while. Okay. Uh Deacons is in his 60s or 70s and Thomas Newman's probably around his 40s, 50s too. Okay. So like you got three pretty well-armed veterans working together on a film. And this isn't the first time they've worked together. As I said, they all worked together on Skyfall. And was Deacon's DP? Yes, he was. Oh. And so if you saw Skyfall, you already knew that they yeah. worked well together. Yeah. And to see them, you know, work on this film and see, like, the similarities to Skyfall and Spectre even and um, just, like, seeing how well and cohesive they work as a team mm-hmm. was just unreal and i remember just sitting there and i'm like i hear the music and i'm like that's the same guy who did skyfall i couldn't think yeah, of thomas i name think that's name.
0: something a lot of people would get a kick out of like people who aren't necessarily filmmakers like if they you know a lot of people will get up and leave when the credits roll but if you look at the credits you see oh deacons that guy oh he did that move. oh yeah like just like you were just saying there are a lot of similarities and it's cool when you catch them like yeah if So if you go and you see 1917 and in five years, Deakins makes another film where there's a similar silhouette shot, you'd be like, oh, he did that before. And Deakins
1: loves his silhouette shots. He does that a lot. He does a lot of, you know, one light, harsh light stuff. He does a lot Mm -hmm. of heavy shadows. And like, if you look at, he likes reflections too. Mm -hmm. He likes water reflections and stuff. Uh, There's one scene that actually we didn't talk about when we were talking about the pacing of the film. A scene that perfectly breaks up the pace in, like, the perfect ways, and is, like, a nice, relax moment. And that is the point where he is in the room with the French girl who's taking care of some other person's baby. Mm, that was sad. That that moment, though, was so necessary, given everything that had happened up until that point. Yep. They needed a break where, you know, things could relax a second, and then you go <laughs> right back into the movement and the the dance of moving the camera 360 around the characters and... You know, getting through the trenches and getting through the action of the city and being chased by someone.
0: Yeah. I got to watch it again and just sit there instead of like analyzing it. I got to watch there and like be in it. I was in it when I was viewing, but like, I definitely was paying attention to like camera movements and stuff. I got to see it again to like just be there.
1: So, I mean, I think that is like one of the best things about this movie is that this is a very rewatchable movie because I feel like you'll pick up on something different every time, or you'll find different things you love about it every time. So, like, seeing it twice, I didn't notice much different, but I definitely paid attention to more detail the second time around of, like, when I watched it the first time, it was just a big spectacle of moving camera. When I watched it the second time, I was, like, looking at specific things that I remembered liking, and I wanted to see how they did it, or wanted to think about how they did it. Like, there's scenes in there where they're on the back of a Jeep with the camera. They're on a motorcycle with the camera. They're on the back of a truck with the camera. They're handheld with the camera. They're using the Steadicam. They're using the, uh, that weird three-axis gimbal or five-axis gimbal thing where it's just like a Steadicam, Steadicam arm, mm-hmm. but it's actually a gimbal stabilizer and they can do some weird things with it. I forget what it's called. Um, but, like, seeing all of that and having seen the behind-the-scenes stuff prior to going and seeing it again and, like, watching more behind-the-scenes stuff on it was definitely super cool for me because then I was, like, thinking, like, I would be so excited to work on a film set where we got to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it would be unbelievable, unreal.
0: Just smiling the whole time. Yeah. I would be I would be happy, too.
1: So, like, I... This kind of movie is just like Arrival was for me a couple of years ago, just like Joker was earlier this year. It excited me for being a filmmaker. It excited me for what I could potentially do in the future yeah. if I, you know, found myself in that situation. And it's just super cool to see and feel inspired that way. Mm. That, like, I wish one day I get to meet Roger Deacons. It probably won't happen because, sadly, he's older. getting older. And I don't know if I'll ever make it... I'll, I don't know if I'll ever make that jump to L.A. But, like, dream of mine, meet Roger Deacons. because of how much thinking about him and... Between him and Bradford Young and Janusz Kaminski, those are three DPs that I absolutely love. Janusz Kaminski did um, the, all of Steven Spielberg's movies, basically, mm-hmm. including Saving Private Ryan, which up until this point has been my favorite movie. Um, 1917 is definitely a close one for the second place, along with Arrival. Those are like my top three
0: movies, I'd say, right love now. I love Saving Private Ryan. That is just such a good movie. It, it is.
1: It's fantastic storytelling, so and that's Steven Spielberg for you. But like it's nice to also see that that we have other directors now coming up that are still older but not like well, Steven not Spielberg, Spielberg and not it. Martin Scorsese and not I when Hitchcock was still and alive. Hitchcock
0: iconic, iconic movies yeah. like nineteen seventy. And
1: you've got Denny Villanueva coming and doing things. He did Arrival, he did um he's doing Dune twenty twenty that's coming out. Oh. He did um he's done so much. He did Sicario, I believe was him. And so like seeing People like that, and even Damien Chazelle. I haven't seen if he's doing anything new, but Christopher Nolan doing Tenet. Is Tenet even on there? It yes, yeah, so it's coming out in those, July. Oh, those are the So films. that's gonna actually push me to my next question for you, so we can get off of 1917 for a little while and potentially for the rest of the night. 2020 films. Have you looked at any of them? Tenet. That's all I care about. Tenet's all you care about? There I'm, are. I see you got a list over there. Yes, I have uh, a list. A
0: Quiet Place too.
1: It's definitely one I'm excited
0: because I want to see how they do. (sighs) Okay, Tenet is like... Whenever Christopher How old is Christopher Nolan? I want 10 more films out of that man before he goes. He's got to be in his
1: 40s to 50s too.
0: All right, cool. That's fine. He's got time. He's got time and he's
1: making blockbusters anyway. Whenever
0: Christopher Nolan Nolan has a slate for a movie releasing, it is a time to be alive. Because this man's movies, with the exception of um i don't even remember the name of the recent one um dunkirk dunkirk i almost said dendrite that's that's
1: That's your movie
0: um with the exception of dunkirk every time that man has directed a film it has like outstandingly pushed boundaries and just wowed me dunkirk was good but i just thought it was that's a part that's
1: a movie where pacing was a little bit off for me i agree whereas like you have 1917 where the pacing, even though it's a long, long movie in terms of you're just following two characters the whole time, the pacing felt good. Whereas in Dunkirk, it felt a little choppy and it mm-hmm. felt a little lackluster.
0: Tenet looks phenomenal.
1: Tenet it's looks all,
0: wild. That's all I care about. Like Tenet
1: is like Memento meets Inception yeah. meets The Dark Knight.
0: Well, I, I, for, maybe it was you or someone. Almost, I think actually every one of Nolan's movies deals with
1: time travel. And he's very big into time. He's talked about it in so many interviews that he's just obsessed with the way time is a construct within film and he can manipulate time and he can
0: do what he wants to time. That explanation that he gives is just, you know, the man's brilliant. A Quiet Place 2, I'm excited. Who's the actor they have in it? He's in most of Nolan's movies. The one guy with black hair. Killian Murphy? Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in A Quiet Place 2. I'm excited that he's in it. And, like, I hope... John Krasinski. Yes. He wrote the script. And he's directing it. I think this might be a good opportunity, because he acted in the first one. When you direct and act at the same time, you have to have, like, a split mind. And you also have to have a very
1: good first AD.
0: I've only done it once, and it was the first short I ever directed, and, like, it was hard. I think I would be a lot better at it now, but regardless, it's hard. So I think for the second one because he's still the writer he's still the director i think it's going to be way better but i just i kind of wish it was the same situation for the first one but the first one was still so good so it's it's up in the air other than those two movies i'm not looking for anything i don't tenant is all, like i said Tenet's so all I,
1: care about. I talked about these in the last podcast the star wars podcast but I'll talk to them about them again. The ones you listed were on my list of films that I'm excited for. Uh, no time to die. I'm a big James Bond fan. So I am happy to see Daniel Craig finally moving on. Yeah, I liked too. him in Skyfall. I liked him in Spectre. I liked him in Casino Royale, quantum of solace, not so much just because I didn't really like that movie overall, but I'm excited to see how this one plays out because I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, Tenet, of course, Christopher Nolan, I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan, love his films. Um, Top Gun Maverick is a thriller for me because, like, I watched the first one when I was very young. I have never seen it. And my dad loves that film. So I'm interested to see if my dad's going to want to go see this movie. But, like, Top Gun was just... It was a good time. And, like, seeing fighter jets up in the sky doing dogfights, all that kind of stuff, super cool. There's some very emotional stuff that happens in that first movie. So I'm going to see... I'm interested to see what they do in this new adaptation of the Mm -hmm. sequel. And I know that like camera angles already are going to be a crazy thing because they outfitted the F-18, I think is what he flies in this, with nine cameras in the cockpit. Can you imagine all those different shots you can get from wide angle to tight to like weird spacey atmospheric ones from like the wings and stuff?
0: Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting film. I'm just kind of over Tom Cruise, to be honest.
1: Sure. But I, I'm glad he's just sticking to what he knows he's good at. I'm glad yeah, he's not trying point. to
0: adventure into... Because I was about to say, I wish he would do something different. But you have a good point. That's a very good point.
1: Because instead of him sticking around and being like, hey, look, I can do this now. It's like, no, you're good at what you do. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and play that out for the rest of your career. That's completely cool with me because you're very good yeah. at doing that. But then um, A Quiet Place Part 2 looks very interesting from the trailers i saw i was like all right i would go see it i go see it uh dune i don't really know what it's about but it's denny villanueva a lot of actors and i like him i like his directing i like all that so like super into it wonder woman 1984 is just something that i'm excited about because i think patty jenkins did a very good job with the first one
0: did she write the scripts I don't know. She she did do a very good job. The first one was very good. She
1: directed it, and that was what gave me hope for the DC EU. Was yeah. her Wonder Woman, and then Aquaman was fine. Shazam, I never got to I see. I
0: thought Aquaman was amazing.
1: And then Black Widow is just I'm a I always liked Natasha Romanoff. I've always liked Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Here, here's
0: go ahead. You're gonna
1: so like I don't know whether or not it's gonna be good. It's probably gonna be
0: fine, but like. You're not a big Marvel movie person. I think Black Widow was their opportunity to make another movie that is small and personal, a lot like Iron Man one. And what did they do in the trailers? Like, there. First of all, there's like there's four other things going on. There's a Russian Captain America now, David Harbor. His character is, like, he has Captain America juice, apparently, like, in the comics. Mm -hmm. And then you have, I forget his name, but the dude who can copy anything. I think that's a great idea for an antagonist. But there's just so much going on. Like, she's falling from, like, a building, like, exploding in the sky. It's just, like, you had an opportunity to, like, really get personal with a really interesting character. And, like, all these, like, big explosions. I hope the trailers are misguiding.
1: I hope they're just for like shock factor and to get people interested. Yeah. I hope they do put more backstory behind it because like you said, she's a really interesting character yeah. and like it's not an Avengers film anymore.
0: Nope. Oh, well, it it seems like it's the movie takes place in between um the 5 years went Thanos to the, the snap.
1: Right, but it, at that point, divorce yourself from the Avengers, let her go do her own thing. That kind of thing. Like Because I know from the very beginning, when she started making all those comments in the movies of like, I'm a monster, you don't know what they did to me when I was younger, that kind of thing. Show us that. Yeah. Show us that, what she went through. Show us what made her who she is, rather than just
0: giving us these little flashbacks. There's some good actors and actresses in that movie, too. Like David Harbour, the one, I can't think of her name, but she was in Little Women. Um, She's... Natasha's sister in Black Widow movie.
1: What did she? Who did she play in uh, Little Women?
0: Um, was it Amy? I think it was Amy. Florence Pugh. Yeah, she's, she's nominated
1: a... for an award for it's Little Women supporting actress. Yep,
0: I thought that was her. That's all
1: her and uh, really Laura Dern. that movie. I did not think I was going to enjoy it as much as
0: I did. Laura Dern, no, she got nominated for best supporting actress in Marriage Story, not Little Women. Right, you're right. Um, which I didn't like her in Marriage Story. No? She's a lawyer. Oh, she's a lawyer, yeah. I don't care how good your acting is. No one should ever get an award for playing a lawyer. All right, that's a little rough. rough. I just... I mean, I guess maybe she does deserve it. Because lawyers suck. And, like, you don't like her in the movie. She is an asshole. So, like, maybe that's why she got nominated. Because she did do a good job of being, like, dislikable.
1: Well... I think that's about all we have. Do you have anything else you want to say about nineteen seventeen?
0: Um, oh, I think I got it all out. It's great. Would you me?
1: recommend it to anyone
0: who likes movies? It's it's a bit of an action movie. It's also a thriller, but it's also about family. So yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. It's not the other thing too is it's not overly gory. Like, I, don't th- I wouldn't even consider it gory at all. There was, there's some dead bodies and like some of them have holes in them, like in the stomach or something like that. But like, as far as war movies go, it really wasn't that bad. So
1: it's kind of along the same lines as Dunkirk, where it doesn't show much violence in terms of like, you don't see people getting blown to bits like you do in Save and Private Ryan. You yeah. don't see that kind of stuff. You're more so following the journey of these two guys going to do their thing. Yeah, and so I
0: I would recommend it for any you know not kids obviously but
1: anyone who's interested in films interested in drama yeah films um I too would I would I would recommend it to anyone I I've told several people to go out and see it already just because I'm a nerd about cinematography that's my main thing is like it's beautiful it looks beautiful yeah. it does what it needs to do and it's just so unique in that it's a wonder that takes place outside which doesn't happen often yeah the entire time. Um, aside from that, um, we talked about what we're talking what we're uh, excited for. Um, aside from that, Jordan, thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate it. I do enjoy our conversation so very much. It's very nice to have that whole Director GP kind of mindset yeah. with you and we seem to understand each other so much. And thank you to everyone who listens. It's been fun this year kind of figuring out what we are doing. And uh, we're going to do one more episode for the 2019 films, and that's going to be the Oscars. Oscars. And that will come in the coming weeks after or before award season. And then we'll probably do another one that is post and seeing how we did, reflecting on what we thought was going to be winning. and. Yeah, we'll time.
0: have our own nominations because fuck the Academy. Whoa! I'm sorry. It's
1: okay. It's okay, because you you're just never gonna win an Oscar now, and I can't say that because you already slated
0: me. That's to so win. true. They're never gonna. Well, here's the thing, though. Oh, gosh, we're ending this thing. It's the the movies that are nominated are voted by people who are in the guilds of yeah. the editors, and so like people think it's like all these old, you know, people. No, it's people in the guilds. It's people who work on these. Films. Our one professor would be able to um, vote if he was. I think Doug did vote. He votes on the shorts, I know. We have, we have a professor... Um, At Temple. He.
1: I took his class last semester. I absolutely loved it. Doug, if you listen to this ever, shout out to you because you're an awesome professor. Jordan's taking his class right now, and I'm just waiting to hear about all the things he loves so about the class.
0: So that's the thing that, that bothers me. I, I say F the Academy. I was joking, um, with the exception of putting Scorsese and... Uh, Tarantino. Tarantino's films over a lot of other films that deserve it way more it's it's like it's not like a bunch of old white dudes voting for these movies people say like oh there's not enough female as much as i agree but it's not like it's not agenda filled it's just people just voted maybe they didn't even see little women so that's why they didn't vote so like it's just this big like nuance i don't that's not the right word it's just this big situation that People take out of context. context. And, like, I do agree. Like, I think Little Women's Director should be nominated for Greta Gerwig I did a book, fantastic job. I think Book Smart was, the script was awesome. That should be up there. I
1: think Greta Gerwig, for being pregnant while directing that film and wow. being completely calm, awesome. deserves I didn't know that. all
0: the credit in the that world. He was so good. And, and it's I, so true, like, how. Um, like this story and the message of it was so good. All right. We'll save that for next
1: we'll save week. that for next the next podcast. But thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh I've had a really good time doing these podcasts with all the guys I've done it with. Uh you we know we should get we should get um the A D on Mike's set. Ava? Ava. Maybe. Um but yeah, so look forward to twenty twenty with us. Um we're gonna be doing some podcasts about some older films uh like we did with ex machina in episode four we're gonna do some new movies a lot of new movies probably we're probably gonna do something on tenet we're probably gonna do something on dune and uh yeah just thanks for listening and uh we'll talk to you guys soon bye bye